So welcome back, Poison Pals, to another episode with your host, Harini Bhatt. And your other host, Megan Gesner. Welcome back. Welcome back. Another day, mm-hmm. another recording. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels strange for me to record right now because everything is in boxes around me. Whoa. Yeah. I can't believe it. I, I was just texting um, both of our friends, Medina, mm-hmm. uh, and I was just like, I feel like I'm leaving Megan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was like, I don't feel right in my heart. It's like, I feel like I'm leaving my other partner behind. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm choosing between her and Dave, and I've decided to take Dave with me and her. <laughs> Uh, yeah it's it's sad (laughs) in another life uh i think karini chose me but you know it's okay honestly some days i think about i'm like we're honestly a package deal like it's just there's no words about it (laughs) i know i mean the dream that we've talked about is to eventually have homes yeah eventually have homes next to each other or in the same neighborhood we've talked about buying a joint property Mm -hmm. so that we just have like a compound (laughs) for both (laughs) our families I I think I think that will happen I think that I believe in if you talk about it and you put your intentions toward it as as commonly used in this world today you manifest Mm -hmm. what you Mm -hmm. seek or whatever Um, but I I feel that our friendship is so deep so (laughs) that like this will happen that uh, I think and and it might even be like I think our friendship runs so deep and Drew actually I'm gonna include Drew in that for myself like I'm gonna include that I think that we will definitely live in the same city at least by the time we're I don't know I don't owning our own home yeah I I just uh did goodbye beach walk Mm -hmm. with another good friend of mine Danielle and she mm-hmm. said something really sweet. She was like, I, I like we were talking about you, Megan, actually. Mm. So I was like, oh, you should, um, you guys should connect and hang out definitely like while I'm yeah. gone or whatever. And we were just chit chatting and she was like, you guys are so good to each other. It's like, you, you guys Aww. are lucky to have each other as friends. So I was like, yeah, I know. I feel like I've told you this already, Harini. But since we're on this love fest of our friendship, <laughs> I want to share this piece too. Like, Phil, my boyfriend, uh, you know, he, he was talking to me, I don't know, a couple weeks back. But I was just like talking to him about the podcast or whatever mm. plans we have. Oh, it was, it was the day after you, Dave... Oh, yeah. And I all went out and yeah. Dave was like, hello, <laughs> pushing for yeah. pushing for us to like take it to the next level, which He's I like love. our manager. I know. I did think that I was like, well, dude, Dave's going to be like part of what will become the bigger oh, project yeah. at some point. Right. So I was telling Phil about all that and I was like really excited about it. And Phil was like, this is he's like, this is why I love Harini and Dave. But he was like, when I see you and Harini. I know you guys are a good influence on each other. Like you guys, that's that's the type of friendships you want to, I don't know, grow or mm. cherish, whatever the yeah. words were, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, like, <laughs> I know that, but like, I don't actively think about it. So that is either, all, you know, to be honest. like, yeah. I just feel like it's just a running subconscious thing in my mind that I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping her and I'm not sharing her with anyone. <laughs> Yeah. Even though that's not the case, I, yeah, yeah. I always make sure everyone is friends with Megan and everyone Ooh. knows Megan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Ugh. Yeah, it's a, we got a good thing going on. I'm very yeah. lucky. It is not goodbye. It is ta-ta for now. Ta-ta, yes. <laughs> to quote ta-ta, Tigger ta-ta from Winnie the Pooh. Dude, uh, did you ever watch the Tigger movie? No. <laughs> because it, Because that's kind of like, there's like a, a sad there's like a cute sad moment mm-hmm. where like tigger like i think really has to go away or something and it's like really emotional and he's like ta-ta for now and then it's like all like tears or whatever <laughs> i actually have to rewatch that i think i'm pulling that from my butt but as a kid i feel like it was sad oh so. i'm sure i also like i never loved how he would bounce around on his tail and it was always crinkly i'm like mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got arthritis of the tail <laughs> All his tailbones are fucked up. 
like he has osteoporosis to the max or he's oh got fossil jaw of the tail <laughs> of the tail mm-hmm. yeah my goodness and on that anyway. note <laughs> let's get into this let's get into this megan yeah tell us okay so special announcement <laughs> <laughs> this is my first time of doing a two-part episode woo, woo. the topic at hand i guess there's like a slight transition about what we're talking about okay. topic at hand does involve cats on some on some oh level gosh, yes this is a story of a 34 year long pollutioning slash poisoning mm-hmm. of the city of minamata and their water supply by the Chiso Corporation. Okay. The Chiso Corporation opens its chemical factory in Minamata in 1908 and quickly becomes the most advanced chemical factory in Japan. Japan at this time is going through an industrial and chemical explosion. They have made huge advancements in production of industrial polymers. And this has started all the way back from like the early 1800s and continues through the mid 1900s. You could even argue that it just they expand so rapidly throughout the entire 20th century, which I'll talk about a little bit more later. The Chiso factory, some of their exports as a chemical manufacturer includes compounds such as acetic acid, vinyl chloride, octanol, and acetylhyde. To summarize what those are, all those things, funnily enough, turn into the next thing so i'm pretty sure you need acetic acid to create vinyl chloride and like acetylhyde and stuff like that but those all contribute to the creation of industrial polymers such as like plastics Mm -hmm. or whatever uh, materials that you'll need to build other stuff a rough timeline states that the chiso factory starts a very specific chemical production of acetylhyde in 1932 And this is where they start using a mercury catalyst in that production workflow. Um, So to create acetylhyde, they need to use a mercury catalyst. Prior to World War II, the Chiso factory actually does get in trouble for wastewater mismanagement. Mm. They had been routing their wastewater canal into the Minamata Bay via Mm. the Hayaken Harbor. So there's this one specific harbor that their wastewater goes out of, and that goes into the larger Minamata Bay. And this does visibly impact fisheries Mm -hmm. by, you know, impacting the sea life in the bay. So, um, you know, local fisheries are getting reduced catches. Like they're not able to bring in as much catch as they had. So they, they recognize like, hey, there's a problem here. And Chiso does give them two compensation agreements, one in 1926 and one in 1943. Um, And this is between them and the local Mm -hmm. fishing industry. So they do have like this prior history of doing sketchy stuff in the bay and the fishermen or local fisheries or fish, fish, they're called fishing cooperatives Mm -hmm. do negotiate with them and be like, yo, like you need to give us compensation or whatever. And then they give them easy money and then, you know, they move on. Okay. So then World War II happens. So I want to give a background on Japan, its status economically, and how it was doing pre-World War II and post-World War II. So that this will tie into how the Chiso Corporation ultimately is able to get away with so much um, later down the line. So pre-World War II, Japan, in the late... 1800s they adopt the slogan of fukoku kyohei which i guess translates into enrich the country strengthen the military and because of this sweeping policy of modernization they do begin to slowly increase their gross domestic product and this is this is when they start to see pre-world war ii they've met about half of Britain's GDP mm-hmm. and America's GDP. So their GDP is about 42% of Britain's mm-hmm. GDP okay. as an example. So they're slowly, slowly right. growing as a country. Once World War II hits, that's totally wiped out. They have to start Yikes, from zero. Dude. Their economy is just incredibly damaged. But as we know and witness, 
they go through what's called the Japanese economic miracle, which is just an unprecedented period of rapid economic growth that they experience from post-World War II to the end of the Cold War era. By the 1990s, Japan has the second largest economy. That's like unheard of after yeah. a war. You know, after, after being cut right. to zero and to, you know, become the second largest economy in less than 50 years. Right. That's insane. So that's why it's called the Japanese economic miracle. <laughs> that happens to be- <laughs> what does Patrick do? Pat- Patrick is like, hew, hew. <laughs> dude, that's honestly me. Every other uh, episode, it's hot. I'm just like out of breath. <laughs> so thank you. It's, if people were listening and be like, wow, she's really breathing hard. I'm aware of it. Okay. I'm aware. All right. So anyway, Here's why, or here are some major reasons as to why Japan is able to go from, you know, zero GDP to second largest economy in less than 45, uh, less than 50 years. One of the reasons is they reallocate a lot of their agricultural labor to industrial labor. They're shifting culturally to be like, we're going to put more, more resources more interest in in industrial labor production industrial goods like textiles steel coal cotton whatever versus agricultural labor because we're not seeing as much product from the agricultural side we see much more success from the industrial side so we're gonna just transfer all our resources manpower that are was put towards agricultural labor and we're just gonna shift that over so that's one of the reasons why they started to you know grow so rapidly the other reason is the introduction of women into the workforce Mm -hmm. this was kind of like a change in culture in a sense of like all hands are on deck we're gonna forego some aspects of what might have been parts of our patriarchal cultural Mm -hmm. concepts and now we're gonna have women come join the workforce and that really enhanced their, their economy as well And then, as I had mentioned, they put all their focus towards what's called the inclined production mode, which is the production of raw material, including steel, coal, and cotton, and chemicals. Okay. So, going back to the Chiso factory, after World War II, they are the only entity in the town of Minamata that can really help Minamata sustain its Mm -hmm. economy. Okay. And when Chiso rapidly expands and does well, so does the community. Therefore, the city is very much in the hands of the Chiso Corporation. So they have a lot of power. They're what's really running this, the community at this point and helping it, you know, grow yeah. economically. Yes, there's still, you know, a agricultural fish, fishing community that's there. But a lot of the town is working towards this industrial sure. aspect now. So sometime in 1951, a part of their production process at the Chiso factory replaces the use of manganese dioxide, of ferric sulfide, which results in a byproduct of methyl mercury, mm-hmm. and that becomes 5% of their waste product outflow. Okay, so summarize that. Methyl mercury is now part of their mm-hmm. waste product. As I had mentioned, back in 1932, they had started to produce acetylhyde, right? I talked about that. At, in 1932, they produced about 200 tons of it that year. In 1951, when they're starting to grow super rapidly, this production of acetylhyde, like remember, part of its process to create acetylhyde involves mercury catalyst. This production of acetylhyde jumps to 6,000 tons. That's a 285% increase of production of acetylhyde in about 20 years. Eventually, this peaks at a production of 45,245 tons of acetylhyde in 1960, which is a 754% (laughs) increase in 10 years totaling out to an a thousand percent increase in a little under 30 years time so this is just to give you a picture of 
how rapidly they're expanding and how much byproduct of mercury is part of their waste product in this Mm -hmm. time span. Methyl mercury is released regularly into the Minamata Bay between 1951 all the way to 1968. Dude. Okay. No, yeah. Okay, perfect. I don't know. I'm so hot. Yeah, you sit back and take big gulps of air while I ask my question. All right, my thought. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was just, I just had a thought. And guys, you may have heard me gasp like a minute back, but uh, a thought bubble formed in my head. I'm just wondering, now that you've given this backstory, that means that, or I'm assuming you're going to get to it, but I think we can put the dots together or connect the dots dots together that they are putting this byproduct into the water, right? And it's getting into the fisheries, the fish, because now we know that, um, you know, certain types of fish more than others, but in general, fish contain mercury. Mm. I wonder if that's... Mm -hmm the origin (laughs) so that's i thought the same thing too in my head doing this research i was like hmm i wonder if there's a concern around mercury poisoning from eating fish because of this particular instance and i mean that in a way of like is was this a cultural moment in you know time and history where it's almost kind of like mm-hmm. a meme where it's like, oh, mercury poisoning, it's in fish. But it's really, it's just a reference to yeah. this particular mm-hmm. incident, right? Or I think what's really, really, what's real is that globally, we have lots of these businesses, whatever, corporations, yeah. who knows, right? Having to discharge their waste products mm-hmm. somewhere. And on some level, there's going to be discharge into our waters and ocean or whatever and i think it's like it's like we're Mm -hmm. all doing it together (laughs) you know like we're there's (laughs) exactly i think fish do have higher mercury levels because as a globe we are so we have become so industrialized so that's where my thoughts are at but yeah at first i was like is it because um i kind of related it to when we did the lead, I almost, the lead I almost said Bhagavad Gita. That is not <laughs> the right. That, that is that's a recall to m- making of the modern world freshman year <laughs> for yeah. me. For me at least. Uh, no, no, no. The Rajneesh <laughs> Shiram. <laughs> that's who I meant to say. On the opposite ends of the spectrum. I recall it. Totally opposite ends. I'm like, so culture. I'm sorry if that offended anyone. That I just it's. Yeah, um, but it it made me recall Rajneesh Puram and how they did the salmonella uh, food poisoning attacks. Yeah, I had mentioned. Oh, I didn't realize that the whole Sizzler gives you food poisoning oh, was yeah. actually a reference to their attacks, and it wasn't just like a thing that Sizzler, Sizzler. always had going on, right? <laughs> so, so that's why I was like, oh, is this whole concern around mercury being fish? an actual thing that continues to happen or is this just a reference to this minimata thing but i think it's i think it's yeah. the, the former i think that there's mercury levels rising in fish as a whole so you're absolutely correct the methyl mercury byproduct does begin to bioaccumulate in the sea life mm-hmm. you know that's fish and shellfish you know predominantly fish and shellfish in the bay and this is the Minomata community's main uh, source yeah. of food. Like so one of the articles I read from, they use the term invariably, like to describe a food source as invariable, <laughs> which totally makes yeah. sense. I didn't mention this earlier, but this particular part of Japan, it's actually islands. Mm-hmm. And so the Minamata Bay is off of an okay. island. And so I'm like, <laughs> this, of course, their food source right. is going to be invariably <laughs> yeah. sea life. So they made these production changes in 1951 and start to, you know, put their waste product into the bay between 1951 to 1968. 1956 marks the beginning signs of, like, distress within the community. Well, first off, here's where cats come into the picture. There's a lot of cats in the area. And people notice... Yes. People notice that cats in the area are showing symptoms of 
well, neurological damage. Um, they don't know it's neurological damage, but the cats are excessively drooling because they can't control their muscles oh. in their jaw, their facial muscles, and they're convulsing, thus oh dancing God. cat fever. So oh, imagine all these sea cats just fucking convulsing and Dude. going mad and then dying. So I'm sorry for those who like cats, but that was a byproduct. And, you know, truthfully, actually a lot of wildlife in the area was suffering, but I think cats mm-hmm. were probably most notable because I think that this part of Japan really liked cats probably. That's why <laughs> they were there. So, yeah. so yeah. yeah, just as the cats, people in the city begin to show similar symptoms of nervous system damage. They lose I mean, the initial symptom is, you know, feeling numbness in their extremities. Mm-hmm. Oh, like my fingers and toes are yeah. numb. They lose control of their motor movements. They can't speak or swallow. And then at a certain point, people are starting to die inexplicably. Here's kind of the ironic thing is that the Chiso mm-hmm. factory is so dominating in the community that they actually have their own factory hospital. And there's a rising number of individuals that are admitted to this Chiso factory uh, factory hospital because of this mystery illness. As numbers begin to rise, like they're recognizing there's this weird illness passing through our community. There's a formal statement put out by the city that's like, you know, we're, we're experiencing a mystery epidemic that is impacting our central nervous system in some way because they recognize if you can't control your motor movements and speech and you're convulsing, it's got to do something with your your neurological system or nervous system. And and they put that statement out and they deem this mystery disease as Minamata disease. Mm -hmm. So they just name it after the city. A committee is formed to investigate the cause or like just investigate what's happening with, with our people. So... They initially believe that whatever's happening is actually infectious and transferable, Mm. and they urge everyone to keep clean homes and heightened sanitation. Mm -hmm. A side effect of this is that there then becomes discrimination towards those of the Minamata population that become infected. So think of it this way, because at first I didn't really understand. I was like, how... I mean, I understood what was being said here, but they're like the Minamatas were dis- discriminated against. But remember, it's just those who have access to the Minamata Bay. So there's yeah. those folks who rely on the bay, which which admittedly, that's like a population of 10,000 at the time, like 10,000 people affected by this. But interiorly, if you just go a little bit outside or if you're someone who use it, who livelihood is based off of the Minamata River, that's right. a different population. Right. So those who were directly by the bay, they start to experience discrimination from slightly interior localities. Gotcha. So if you were like, okay, you live around Minamata Bay and you're sick, don't come near me, don't touch me, you're unclean sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Researchers from the Kuma- Kumamoto University are invited to help with this investigation and they form a research group within the same year August 24th, 1956. They would admit and interview people with the disease to a lo- their lab that they set up or whatever. I think they probably also used the Chiso factory hospital as a base. And over time, you know, there becomes a clear picture of whatever they're dealing with has the same symptoms, similarities over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, they recognize, okay, so once someone's sick, they always, always say, I experienced numbness of the extremities, and then they experience the lack of motor control, and then it goes worse into convulsions and ultimately death. So they see like this timeline of this disease. It's the same thing over and over again. What they notice as well is that all the victims that come in, well, they don't, they're not victims in that sense yet there there are people who are just sick with the disease right okay all those folks who come in they're also usually of the same family and Mm. usually a part of a family who does work in the fishing industry Mm -hmm. or has some connection to the bay right or some part of the trade or whatever they also note that the cats who have been impacted and showing the same signs 
they oh sorry sorry what i didn't say earlier is they're they're people who work around the bay and whose main food source Mm -hmm. is fish from the bay Mm -hmm. and so they also know okay the cats the cats often scavenge off the fishing boats or eat from the table of these families right and their main food source is also the fish Mm -hmm. so they it's just like a very you know clear line of deduction of like okay it's clearly something's part of the bay it has to do with the food. Yeah. So now they're thinking it's a food poisoning issue. Sure. Which they're right. Like they're they're on the right track. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are the steps that they're starting to see clearly. And then between 1957 and 1958, they narrow it down to like once they figure out it's a food born illness, mm-hmm. they figure out that could be like a heavy metal thing in the fish. It's like reading it chronologically. You're like, okay, they figure out kind of fast. But realistically, it took them a couple years to deduce this. Like they're invested. Yeah. Like, like it's one of those things where I think they could clearly kind of see the line of connection Mm -hmm. forming ahead, Mm -hmm. but they can't fully come to a conclusion until they are sure about every single you know um theory or every single question yeah is fully explored yeah so between 1957 and 1958 they think it's a heavy metal poisoning so they start focusing on all types of heavy metals they do a lot of tests on the fish and all that during this time keep in mind that the fishing catch has decreased significantly like all the fishing cooperatives or you know meaning the groups of fishermen Mm -hmm. who work the bay they are suffering significantly just in terms of economic in terms of their their pay their financial survival Mm -hmm. also because they can't even sell the fish that they catch because they know that something's not right Mm -hmm. with what's whatever's going on the bay like the fish is soiled Mm -hmm. essentially so there there's struggle in that community at some point, I think in 1958, there's a British neurologist who comes into the picture and actually postulates like, you know, all these symptoms looks like organic mercury poisoning. So once he says that, they're like, OK, let's focus on mercury. And that's really lo and behold, like, OK, once they really put their research towards mercury, they're like, OK, yes, it looks like it's mercury poisoning. Mm-hmm. OK. But where is the mercury coming from? <laughs> right? Because they still need to figure out. Yeah. Okay. They're working backwards. Sure. That's why it's taking so long. They're working backwards. Now, fast forward to 1959. So this has now been a three-year-long journey mm-hmm. since initial sickness and victims are coming forward. Because of the discovery of mercury in the fish, the investigation does go to check out the Chiso factory wastewater canal. So they do go to investigate that. And what they discover is that pollution, mercury pollution, was so heavy at the mouth of the wastewater canal that there was two kilograms of mercury per ton of sediment in the in the subsidiary or uh, in the, you know, in the mouth of this canal. Mm -hmm. I'm pulling this from Wikipedia. So part of me is like, okay, you know, fact check this. But they said that this level of mercury was so high that you could technically mine it. What? And that apparently after all this stuff does happen, mm-hmm. the Chiso factory literally does go into their sludge <laughs> and mine the mercury and sells it. What? <laughs> for, for, for value. Oh, yeah. my God. So that, that gives you an idea of like the company yeah. we're talking about, but also like the level of mercury that's in the sediment. Jeez. Um, after they see the level of set, set, uh, mercury in the sediment, they then go and test the victim's hair mm-hmm. and they give a number, but it's just, just no, like there's an absurd amount of mercury in their hair <laughs> Yeah, to a point where this is something that I, that was new to me. I don't know if this will be new to you, but I didn't realize that certain types of mercurial poisoning can actually become congenital because mm. it doesn't go away in your body that's it bioaccumulates so no i didn't know that yeah so that's what i will actually be talking about in the next episode cool. but um that's like how heavy of the poisoning was it it's lasts so long in a person that it becomes generational my god Isn't that crazy 
that's like yeah legit because the mercury in the body <laughs> yes i i don't mean to be a to be a middleist here but if you want to talk about generational trauma then let's talk about mercury poisoning yeah, <laughs> yeah you can't say shit about generate i'm just kidding i'm not i'm kidding but um um but yeah, like apparently the mercury can be transferred from the placenta into the baby. Dude. Here's here's the thing though. Even though you can kind of deduce like, oh, okay, the wastewater canal creates high uh like sludge with high mercury levels, mm. which is clearly getting into our fish, which is clearly getting eaten by the people. Yeah. Therefore, A to Z, Z to A, the wastewater is what's causing right. this sickness. But they can't actually prove that yet. There's mm. no person going, I am going to take a sample of the wastewater, put it in the food, and then see if it actually does cause sickness. Like mm. you can you can assume, but it's not like a fully provable sure. thing. It sounds that sounds ludicrous, but that's fair. Like mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what actually happens is one, uh, the director of the Chiso Factory Hospital, Hajime Hasakawa, mm-hmm. he does just that. Again, ro- ironic to me is that he works for the Chiso Factory right. Hospital, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to do tests. Good on him. Unknown to the higher ups. Yes. And I'm going to see if there's a direct correlation of this, our waste product going into food and causing people to get sick. Yep. Right? Do it. So does, oh, well, Okay, this is where cats come in again. <laughs> I love it. Bring them back. He does his tests oh. on healthy cats. Oh, oh, oh. So he has these healthy cats in his labs. He takes a small amount of the wastewater. That's <clears throat> and not even the wastewater that's like emptying out of the canal. It's like the wastewater directly coming from the plant. Like not the sediment. Mm. That's where the harbor is. It's direct from the plant. He puts a small amount of it into the fish and then he feeds it to the cats. Yeah. And something like within, it does kind of take a while, but for the cats within like a 78 day period, they start to exhibit Mm -hmm. those symptoms. Mm -hmm. And obviously he messes around with dosages and stuff like that. He's able to prove a direct linkage (laughs) from the factory's waste product that is causing people to experience neurological damage. Mm -hmm. The Chiso higher ups, find out about his lab experiments and they order him to shut it down and they hide the records. They don't put those records out or whatever. They like try to try to hide them. His name in different sources came up as like, he was the guy who tested it on cats. Like he was the one to really determine the link. And then like he, his name just disappears. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, I'm sure that they tried to silence him in some way. I'm sure. Yeah. As a result of this, it's no secret. Everyone's pointing fingers at the Chuso factor at this point in time. Even though they can't say, oh, we definitively proved it. Like, they don't know about Hasekawa's lab experience. No one knows about that. But, like, everyone's kind of like, we know it's you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like we, we know you're the problem. Yeah. Like, stop denying it sort of thing. We don't need to do more to test on this. Like, there's clearly a connection between your waste product right. and our sickness. And so everyone's pointing fingers at the Chiso factory. Now, going back to the culture of Japan at the time, the Chiso factory is a huge contributor to their industrial revolution, to their economic success, Mm -hmm. whatever. They're like the third largest chemical factory in all of Japan, Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Like very significant in terms of economic prosperity. Sure. Because of this, the Japanese Ministry of International Trade and Industry, which is the entity that really did shift Japan to experience its economic miracle, its you know growth miracle, mm-hmm. they actually put funding into research for an alternative cause of the disease to distract from the truth. Oh, so basically, a government entity, or you know, yeah, government entity sees what's happening with this one factory or this one corporation and they're like we're gonna help you out by just being like oh it could be this thing over here Hmm. and you guys figure shit out so that everyone can be pleased yeah while the ministry of international trade and industry is helping them out 
by researching nonsensical mm. stuff, essentially, the Chiso factory decides to shift their waste product canal from the bay into the Minamata River. Oh <laughs> All right. Oh. What do you know about bodies exactly, of water, Haruni? Exactly. What do you think happens <laughs> when you shift rivers. from putting product into a... Yeah, go ahead. Ocean. Tell me. All Harini. rivers lead to the ocean. <laughs> Tributaries. Right. But also, <laughs> damn straight. <laughs> Earth Love sciences. Shit, actually. It makes me think from third grade. I know. High school. AP, AP Earth and Environmental yeah. Sciences. What happens when they shift their waste canal to the river? The river is going to impact so many more communities, yeah. right? Because... For comparison, when you're on the bay, the only thing that can surround the bay is like whatever communities around mm. the bay. Whereas with the river, upstream, downstream, sure. whatever, you have a lot more opportunities for flow or whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know how much upriver they mm. were to to drop their chemicals, but like that's going to hit a lot more people. Whereas when you exit it out of the bay, the the bay is just going to hit what's along that shoreline. Right. And then go out to the right. ocean. No one's living technically out in the right. ocean. But when you're on a river, you can impact a lot more communities. Because as you have said, Harini, all rivers go to the ocean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. So what happens from there is all these folks who weren't part of the initial Minamata Bay community, people from different communities, not even, they wouldn't even di- identify themselves as Minamatans. Mm-hmm start to become sick Mm. and they're like why am i getting sick why is this disease transferring so far away the epidemic is increasing Mm. here's what happens when more more expansive communities are impacted then more people get upset and or angry or want to take action right at this point chiso corporation has not admitted anything but people still feel very strongly like this is your doing. And we know that you've now transferred your waste product to the river. So now a lot of different communities are being impacted. Mm-hmm. This is just like a jump. I'm going to go really fast into the <laughs> timeline. First off, fishing cooperatives from the bay are still like, we have not experienced any sort of compensation. Yeah. We know that it's you guys. There needs to be some negotiation because our livelihoods are tanking. Mm -hmm. At one point in 1959, a fishing cooperative actually barges into the factory and demands some sort of compensation. And there's a committee that is like, okay, we can mediate between you two. But this committee is largely made up of like Chiso um, affiliated people. It's sucky at first, and the fishing cooperative is like, we don't want your pity money. We want, like, some real change or whatever. It's, like, kind of, not stalled, but they really don't get what they want, which is, like, full ending of the problem. They end up, because it just takes, doesn't take too long, but they recognize they're not going to get what they really want, so might as well take the money while they can sort of thing. So they accept a payment of... 20 million yen they accept a payment of 20 million yen which translates to 1.7 million dollars in today's Mm -hmm. value and then chiso also does set up a fund to promote the recovery of fishing so then there's money put towards this fund okay so it's like it's something word spreads to other fishing cooperatives of this what would be considered like a, a small success there is possible possibility of getting some sort of reparation or whatever Another group of a thousand fishermen, they do the same thing in October mm-hmm. of the same year, 19, 1959, but it doesn't work. Yeah. Like they, they go to the factory, the demand change, and they leave with nothing. They don't get what they want. So what they do is they call on members all the way in Tokyo of the Japanese Diet mm. to be like, you need to come to Minamata. There's Dang. a problem. There's an issue going on with our you know, fishing industry and this corporation. So these representatives from the Japanese Diet come down and once again, this massive fishing cooperative with the Diets as part of it, they barge into the factory 
But instead of demanding negotiation, and I'm not sure if the Dietz were part part of this or yeah. just witness to it, but they actually end up trashing slash rioting in parts of the factory, mm. causing up to 10 million yen in damages. Yikes. Now, what happens because of this is this gets a lot of media attention. Sure. So this is the first time that the whole Minamata issue actually becomes nationally known. Interesting. And that's when there's, yeah, this whole time, this was all just within the <laughs> confines of the community. That's nuts. Nobody really knew nor cared about it outside of the Minamata area. It's like Flint, Michigan. First. Yes. Because of this riot, they get media attention. There's national interest now. And now there's mm. pressure on the Chiso factory to actually Good. do better or change or whatever. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't end there. <laughs> That's why I was like, I need to do a two-parter. <laughs> but um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up the Minamata story. Sure. So... They have this pressure to like change or whatever. And I think one of their higher ups, this is where I'm like, okay, I don't have names now, <laughs> but either it's either the representative or the director of the company. Mm. One of the two, probably the director, probably the director. They do a televised event where, okay, well, first off, they change the waste product route from the river back to the bay, oh, but that's quote unquote fair because the bay can be more manageable yeah. rather than you're contaminating a whole like river source mm. so they change it back to the bay and and that's you know requested of them like okay you have to divert it back and you also have to clean it up like figure out a solution i don't even know if there's an or else <laughs> but what they do is like i think they give them a timeline like it, you need to cap it or or somehow figure out a way to filter yeah. So that there's no um, heavy metal runoff mm, into mm -hmm. the sediment. So what they do is they have a televised or some sort of con um, some sort of publicized event mm. where they're like, oh, we're putting a special filtering system in place over the canal in the Hayekin Harbor, and um, this will prevent you know further poisonings. And everyone's like, yay. Like, everyone is satisfied yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. Harini, this thing doesn't do it's shit. It's just a colander. It is just for show. <laughs> yeah. A colander tape is just tape. <laughs> Guys, the whole televised event. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> but they, yes. They, they set up this event. They set up this event. To please the public yeah. eye, but it doesn't do anything to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. But the issue is people believed it. Uh, people actually moved forward with their lives thinking, mm. oh, Minamata disease is no longer. Yeah. And that's not the case. Yeah. Like I had mentioned, I had mentioned this as I started. This went from 1951 to 1968. Jeez. Them putting that cap on was in 1959. You're kidding. Okay. Oh my God. Right. So for another <laughs> nine years, people were poisoned and they didn't know about it or they did, but like didn't realize that like the, So I'm just I'm just telling this like this is important because like it slowed down the the recovery, obviously. Mm. And that's why it became a 34 year long ordeal. Wow. Um, but I'm going to stop it there because what i want to get into is okay obviously what happens to the chiso factory oh and why does it ultimately s actually handle its shit in 1968 right so i'll talk about that in the next episode but then i'll also talk about w why the story even came up on my radar is because of the connection to what's been happening in canada mm. but this is a little teaser for the next episode s researchers slash toxicologists in Canada, they actually used Hakusawa's cat samples oh. from 70 years oh. ago to figure out what was poisoning the First Nations people in Canada. Wow. So that's how they're tied because they actually used <laughs> one of the, the lab cats yeah. from 70 years ago. Um, but what they've discovered is that, well, this is also news to mm -hmm. me, 
this is not the discovery. This is just news to me. <laughs> yeah. There are different species, quote unquote species of mercury. Oh. And what they discovered is that actually what might have happened in Minamata, Japan could have been a different type of mercury mm. than the organic mercury that they thought was poisoning mm, them. See. So we'll talk about that next episode. So cool. And um, it's just, it's fascinating because what, like they said, 70 years later yeah. that they've learned something new about nice. an old event, which I think is I totally rad. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Really fascinating mm-hmm. stuff. Nice. Megan. So that's that. <laughs> um, this was such, yeah, to be continued. I don't think I've been so out of breath <laughs> in a podcast. Like I feel this is the weirdest recording <laughs> I've ever done <laughs> for myself. I cannot tell you how sweaty I am right now. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like me. you're just, um, you're, um, you're like channeling the, the environment or the disease in some way. Maybe. Feeling like yeah. frantic in some way. Like, what is happening? It's a, yeah. It was a lot of info. So thanks for hanging no, in I there. Know. You're trying to get through a lot of info. It was, so. it was a lot. I was like, oh, I do God. that too. When I know I have a long story, because I, t- I tend to have longer, long stories. So I like preface it by mm-hmm. just feeding <laughs> and then i'm just like yeah. out of breath I'm like, okay i gotta stop <laughs> yeah i get that yeah so uh, yeah thanks everyone for hanging in there with me i hope you learned something really new like i did and i hope you yeah hope you dream of dancing <laughs> cats even though it's a really sad reason why they're dancing i know, I know. they're not even dancing they're I just know. seizing on the floor uh so bad i know that's really sad oh my God. but then anyways well, i guess maybe we'll talk yeah. about it in the next time like um mm. how it meant i guess you did talk about it how it manifested in the people so seizures and death ultimately oh yeah yeah so yeah. sad man yeah they also had seizures so so technically oh no that's insensitive <laughs> <laughs> i have a mess today i don't know I was going to say, yes, it manifested in Caesars and convulsions in people, too. So you could have called it dancing people <laughs> fever. <laughs> that, but the thing up, is, dude. like, that has happened several times in history now where, you know, I'm sure people have heard about the, like, back in medieval France or whatever, that town that just couldn't stop dancing until mm. they all died. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my God. Whoa. Yeah, and it's because of ergot poisoning. Whoa. Is, it- <gasps> yeah whoa i don't yeah, know about i was gonna that. do an episode on it but I, we should do you should do a little I think mini I'll do story mini, yeah. or a, a mini, whole episode I, I don't think it's that long like there's not enough content to p- produce a whole yeah. episode on it but yeah there's gotcha. a whole town in medieval france that just can stop dancing <laughs> yeah that's wild that's a that's a tiktok that worthy TikTok. you know yeah, yeah, snippet absolutely yeah so join us on tiktok to watch that <laughs> <laughs> it is uh our handle is that shit yeah. is poison mm-hmm. on tiktok well, thank you, Megan. That was a really fascinating part one. Yes. Making yes. history, making you. podcast history here. <laughs> it's Megan's first time doing two parts. So I'm really hyped to see the, to hear the next part. So we mm-hmm. are good to mm-hmm. go. So I'm yeah. going to do my antidote. My antidote is that I'm honestly really excited about the pieces of furniture I bought apartment is going to turn out fantastic and i cannot wait to see it the one piece that i'm really or the two pieces i'm really excited about is uh what i told megan is this reclining leather accent chair and it's just like mm-hmm. you're sitting on a cloud it's so comfy uh and then the other Love piece that. i just got that i'm really excited about like a chartreuse velvet mm. accent swivel chair and it just looks so luxe nice. and gorgeous. Um, so it's going to yeah. be another like accent chair that we that we have in the living room. So I'm really happy about that. I just need, I wanted like a pop of brightness because I our love that. main sofa is white. I, I wanted something yeah. to yeah. brighten up the space. So this was like the exact color I had in mind. So I was like, perfect. That's so dope. I really like the idea of like green mm-hmm. accent chairs. I almost got one too, but then I ended up kind of no, no. boring. But yeah, and whatever. you guys know how much I like lime green or like um, neon green. So this is chartreuse. Yes, is like. that is your color. You really do yeah. like that. Yeah, no, that's gonna look that's gonna look so dope yeah. when it's done well. That color mm. can look mm-hmm. really good in a space. 
This has turned into an interior design podcast. That's dope. I'm happy. Yeah. I know. I know. No, no, Sorry. No, I was just course. so curious. Um, I love that. And I love that you're doing it. I had a great time doing my place because um, yeah. you really can make it your own. Mm-hmm. So awesome. My antidote is that I've been doing a really good job not spending money on yeah. like food. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, because if anyone knows me, I actually think I have like the worst money spending habits, but it's all mm-hmm. food based. Like literally food, it's it's buying lunches and yeah. going out. It's, yeah. And uh, I, I feel like I've really like done a good job. You have. Doing that you totally this have. Year. And the only reason, yeah, the only reason I haven't been going out is because moving into my new apartment took a lot out of mm-hmm. me financially and i was like okay well if there's if this is a good time to start a habit of like not unnecessarily spending on going out to eat or multiple meals yeah. a day out that's so i've awesome. been cooking a lot again I which feels that. really nice that's gonna be me real yeah. soon because <laughs> i've made a dent <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah i feel you it's okay you'll rebuild faster totally. than you think like i feel like i rebuilt pretty quickly but I'm just like on a good kick yeah. right now. So, all right, friends, thanks for hanging in there and uh, stay tuned for a part two of the Minimata disease story. Do you want to do um, your, your biscuit at the end of your second part? Oh, no, no, okay. I'll do it now. Don't risk it for that <laughs> dancing cat biscuit. <laughs> Got the fever. <laughs> fever. <laughs> I hope we don't get like no, super no. copyright. Well, that's why we're gonna end it up right now. Okay, goodbye.